Hi, Andy here. This episode of Sticky from the Inside is just a little bit different. There was so much content in this interview, I've had to split it into two manageable parts. This is part one, and part two will be immediately available to download afterwards. Anyway, enough from me. Let's crack on with part one. Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, in the world of retention, engagement, culture, and leadership development work I get to do with clients, I spend quite a lot of my time, maybe a disproportionate amount of my time, sharing the many mistakes I made in the past, hoping that the fabulous people I'm working with don't make the same errors I didn't, they benefit from learning what I did wrong. Now, aside from all the great leadership theories and models that I share, it's always, always those stories of my personal failings that often end up resonating the most with an audience. The combination of authenticity, honesty, and I guess vulnerability ends up working its magic, and these lessons regularly land quite hard with many of the people I'm fortunate enough to work with. But on occasions, I get to sit back and listen to other people's experiences as we bring in other experienced leaders and friends in our network and invite them to share their insights on the world of leadership based on their own working lives. Now, recently, I witnessed one such talk with a group of emerging leaders. And at the end of the evening, one of the delegates came up to me and whispered in my ear, I think we've just had a moment. Sometimes the combination of gravitas, personal ability, lived experience, storytelling ability, message, and a degree of humbleness combined to create a truly special experience. And I wanted to bring that to this episode. So today, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Steve Armstrong. Steve spent 29 years with the McDonald's Corporation in a career which saw him in operational leadership roles across the UK, Europe, and as part of their global strategy team. As well as his experience in one of the world's biggest brands, he's also worked alongside startup businesses to help coach them on strategic direction. And for me, really importantly, cultural definition. He's now working across Europe again with Eurogarages, helping to shape their future food-to-go strategy. Now, proudly born in Manchester, he holds close by the values of an upbringing in the world's first industrial city and is highly respected, authentic leader of people. And today, He's going to share with us a version of that talk that I witnessed, where he shared 
is 15 destructive leadership behaviors to avoid. Welcome to the show, Steve. Pleasure, mate. You all right? I'm very good, mate. Very nice to see you. Yeah, in the interest of accuracy, I only shared 13 at that talk because, as I told you, I forgot to. See, that's the benefit of the podcast, you see. We're going to get two extra behaviours that we didn't get that evening. Uh, yeah. No, it was it was good. It was good fun, that. And I think when you get to sort of the age, um, the professional age, certainly, I feel I'm at, um, you realise, I think, the obligation I think you have to the what the, the the youthful leadership generation that's coming in below you i think it's something that um doesn't happen organically enough either in business or in in sort of leadership environments and um you know i think that group in particular um who to me seemed young beyond their years with responsibility way beyond their years <laughs> yes. um, you know it was uh it was a particularly interesting group to have that conversation with. And it was it was funny because obviously they, they were in an industry that I have no real understanding of. Although I'm, you know, leadership is leadership at the end of the day. And, um, you know, the same buttons that when they get pressed seem to yield hopefully the same outcomes. But um, it very much reminded me of, um, you know, obviously I've been in, you know, I started young in McDonald's and, um, you know, I was leading... I remember running shifts at the age of 18 of 40, 50 people on it. Um, I was 18 years of age, you know, yeah. and at the time it didn't real, it didn't feel like a big deal to people. It was, you know, my dad who'd done very well in his life, um, but he, you know, he worked in dentistry, he worked, he's a dental technician he, and he, he effectively worked on his own all his life. Been very successful out of it, did all right. But I remember him one day saying to me, he said, the responsibility you've got scares the living daylights out of me. And I thought, God, that's something else. My dad saying that. So, <laughs> I felt, you know, some affinity with that group, particularly for for that reason. But um, yeah, it was it was it was good fun, and um, you know, I do think um, I enjoy any situation where you're given a platform or an opportunity to pass on some of that knowledge and experience, um, and particularly if it's knowledge and experience, it isn't, you know, just gained by wheeling people out who've just had the good fortune to have been brilliant at everything they've ever done. You know, I feel I can often stand up there and largely, you know, I've done some stuff well, but I've done most things largely by not doing things very well first and then hopefully getting better and learning from that and then being able to turn around to somebody 20 years down the line and say, uh, you know, hey, you don't watch that, watch this. (laughs) Now now we're showing some age. That's That's a lovely reference there, my friend. I think the great thing about what we're going to hear about today is it's not contrived in any sort of way. It's it's a natural, genuine, lived experience. Like you say, these are some things to watch out for. Listeners may may not resonate with every single one. I don't think that is the point of what we're going to go through today. The point is to sort of say, listen, I've done some stuff. Yes. I've done some good stuff. I've done some bad stuff. Here's what I've learned. And if you can avoid some of these things, you're not going to be bad, right? Yeah, and I think my biggest driver in my career, and it got I got hungrier to achieve this as I got older. I felt being in leadership at a young age, I felt I had more to prove because there were other people around me who um, who were obviously more older, more senior, and as a result of that, you know, you kind of had that people looking down on the aspects of it. But at the front and center of everything. I've ever tried to do. I've never considered, I'm not ambitious in any way, shape or form. 
you know, I would be as comfortable having little as I would be having lots. And I'm comfortable with that. I'm not materialistic. I certainly don't crave jobs. I'm very proud of the fact that I've never chased a position in my entire life. Hmm. But I am very much proud of at least striving, whether it be, and I don't necessarily announce this to people, but I have, you know, I want anybody who's reported to me, for want of a better word, or had me as their boss line manager, I want them, if they were ever asked a question, who's the best boss you've ever had? Mm. I'd like my name to be in that conversation. Mm. I don't feel that that's an arrogant thing to say. I think it's something that any person who has what I think is an unbelievable privilege, the second somebody decides to have, give you the opportunity to lead people, that's a big privilege that, and I don't think people should ever lose sight of that at any point in there, even during the times you'd rather you didn't have that privilege at all than somebody else was doing it. It's, it's um, all about impact, isn't it? Ultimately, yeah, that's all about it impact. Is. What a great legacy to leave behind if you've made a yeah. positive impact on somebody. Yeah, and I think, um, and I think sometimes you know we, we're surrounded by, um, we're surrounded by measurement and we're surrounded by evidence of of performance um, usually in the form of outcomes but you know the thing I look back on certainly is is my some of my best leadership situations will never be measured you know these are all situations where there wasn't there wasn't going to be a league table that says has done this in this situation you know these are sometimes some of these things absolutely fly from nowhere and more often than not they're not particularly nice to deal with you know so but I've always wanted to have people who I served as their leader, say at some point in their career, the best boss I ever had was was in. Um, you know, I and, and again I'm 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 like that in my personal life as well. I'm very much like I just want people to say he's a good lad. Um, you know, he's a good lad. And I think if people can say to you at work, you know, good lad or good girl uh, and good at their job, I think if you get out the other side with that firmly intact, I think you can look back at your career and say I've been successful, regardless of where you've been, what positions you've held, what results you had. Um, I think if you can get to the other side of that with that credibility intact, you've got every right to look back at your career and say, I've done all right there. Absolutely. And there's not reams and reams of people who have done that and can say that. I think that's yeah, fair to say. In you know, but I think at the very least, strive to do that. Well, 100%. Um, you know, and, and I think when you tend to, if everybody strays away from that sort of, course of direction that they choose to go on um whether it be consciously or unconsciously um recognizing that i've strayed away a little bit and i need to get back on track or i need to get back to um because this is the thing i talk about these um these behaviors again front and center of for me from a leadership point of view is, is i don't like telling people what i think they should do mm. um because i think one of the flaws of leadership is you know, it's quite a fine line between leading and cloning sometimes. Um, and, you know, cloning's fine when you, if, if you just fancy over-indexing on stuff that's already there and already going well. Um, but if you need diversity and different variables to your strategy and people who can bring things that you can't, um, you know, you are going to very much have to rely on people being themselves. So I made a decision very early in my career. I, I learned this quite early on. And I think I was very lucky working in a brilliant organization like McDonald's where, you know, you do get given responsibility early. You do get given sizable responsibility as well. 
um, you know, not just dealing with, you know, 40, 50, sometimes up to 100 employees on a weekend shift back in the late 80s. And you know, you're dealing with just thousands of customers and God knows how many moving parts from a from a shift control point of view. Um, you learn a lot very early there. But I think because of that, um, I'd had, I was one of these fortunate people who was able to call themselves experienced quite early on. Um, some people have been in the business for a long time and I, they've got time served. They don't necessarily have experience. Yeah. Um, you know, I've been through just about everything by the age of 22, 23, when it came to thinking on your feet leadership, which again is good because it means you can make all your car crash decisions early while you're still young enough to be able to get away with it. Um, and then when you reach the age of, you know, should know better by now, um, you do. Um, you know, so professionally, it wasn't something I was able to transfer to my personal life. Um, but, um, you know, I'm 52 years of age now and I still sometimes get the accusation that you're, you're old enough to know better. Um, I aim to, you know, keep being accused of that whilst I'm in my seventies and eighties. But yeah, I think, I think, um, I was lucky that I was able to get that much under my belt early doors to then be able to identify when things aren't going well, um, what's at the cause of these things? Without having done them all, um, I can see them a mile off in other people and I can feel them coming on before they've happened within myself sometimes. And I just think being aware of behaviours that undo all of the best laid plans, I think is a really significant, important leadership skill to have. I agree, I agree entirely, mate. And I think a lot of what we're talking about, again, is intentionality. And I, I hope that sharing these 15 you know it, it does all come back to recognizing seeing and then doing something about it intentionally right what i'm hoping to get from this episode as we start to share these 15 behaviors is a little bit of self-reflection mm. in people to think well you know where do i see that what can i do about it how do i nudge it for how do i avoid some of this stuff right yeah they're destructive because they're the easiest to adopt yeah um, and as a result of that, they're, they're so commonplace. And it's like, I'm not about to reveal Machiavellian style, you know, <laughs> wizardry. Here. I'm, 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 people are going to be nodding along going, is that it? Yeah. <laughs> and it is, and, and it is that it, you know, intentionally it, it so, be, Steve, intentionally so. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And it is. And it's, yeah, I think, you know, some of these behaviors are particularly simple. And, and what I try and champion is, is just, as I said to you before, I haven't got the right to tell people what to do. Um, and I certainly haven't got the arrogance to think that me telling somebody what they should do means that everything's going to be great. Because I, I could well be suppressing brilliant ideas or brilliant thought processes from someone far, far more gifted than I could ever be. But I feel qualified to say, listen, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but if we can avoid doing these things, it's highly likely that you'll go and place yourself with a much stronger platform for which to build these um, plans and ideas and, and strategies that you have. Largely, I think the strike rate we've had has, has been pretty good with that. I look back at um, not so much outcomes in terms of business performance, but I look at where some people are now who've worked under that kind of leadership or guidance. You know, there are some people in some very senior positions dotted around the world who I uh, 
look on with pride. I don't feel as if I created them, but I feel as if I kept them going on a journey of, of almost like a sat nav type of journey. Um, well, let's let's fire up that sat nav now, my friend. Let's fire up the sat nav. Let's think about laying these foundations. And why don't you just introduce us into your words, simplistic, recognizable, whatever whatever people think. Take us through the yeah, journey I mean, of your fifteen destructive behaviours. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll 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 kind of whisk through these and listen. If you want to, you know, expand on any of them, either at the end or or as we go through them, then and they're in no order of importance either. They're, they're in order of remembrance. Um, I often tell people about feeling sorry for yourself. Um, as is a behaviour that won't get you anywhere. Um, you know, and I think one thing of that's very important is just having an acceptance that stuff just sometimes won't go as you expected. Um, and your response to that is, 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 is where your time and focus should be. Um, I've seen a lot of wasted time, energy, just wasted on people, just sitting back, feeling hard done by or feeling sorry for themselves. And um, listen, you will always have things that just don't go to plan. And sometimes those outcomes can not be very, very nice at all, but you've got to get yourself off that floor because of the leader you're expected to you know while you're feeling sorry for yourself your team the people who are looking to you in those situations they're not going forward um so that was a significant one that i've always tried to um to get across to people as is avoiding being controlled by other people i absolutely urge people to listen to learn and to be influenced but being controlled i think undermines you as a leader I think it takes away from your authenticity as a leader. And I think sometimes teams pick up that this isn't you leading at all. This is you just promoting a message from from elsewhere. And sometimes people will question your values as a boss when they feel that you're just promoting other people's sense of direction here. You are just ultimately here to almost like a, a middleman, um, for want of a better word. And you know, I've always sort of tried to encourage people to look at the strategy that you that, that, that you've got in front of you and by all means align everything that you're about to do to that but it should be done with your values not values of other people or other 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 parts of your organization so I think giving away control of yourself in your own direction is, is something that I've often seen undo good business performance but on that I also think that resisting change being adverse to change or, or even standing still you know i've seen that again is, a, is another significant thing that businesses and, and leaders within businesses have, have, have got to avoid um you know and, and that can be down to whether that's sort of strategy or whether that's down to failing to recognize that the way you've led or you know one journey of your professional self has now come to an end and it's time to, to almost look at what does version two of you look like you know because leaders leaders are getting older and they're and, and often their audiences are getting younger so that generation gap becomes even wider and even wider and i think that as a result of that um, i often find it's easier for one person in a senior position to adapt than it is to try and get 10 20 30 40 other people um to adapt yeah. um to what sometimes can often be an old-fashioned way of doing stuff so you know being 
And again, I think change for the sake of change sometimes is there's nothing wrong with sticking by something that's tried to test it and working well, but the world's moving at a pace now that is just obscenely fast. Um, and as a result of that, I think people have just got to be willing to recognise where the need for change um, is upon you. And I think the other skill there is understanding that just because everything's sweet doesn't mean that there's a time for change not too far around the corner. You know, I'm a big man, United fan, and one of the things that I think Ferguson did better than probably any football manager there's ever been is he wasn't scared to change things when it was obvious to the rest of the world that no change was needed. Yeah. Um, you know, he was knocking down teams that had won titles um, and starting them again. And to do that and keep doing that over decades, I think is an unbelievable skill, you know. So, but I think by and large, people are very, very much scared of change. Um, and I think that kind of sometimes it links into another, another behavior, um, which is the avoidance of risk, um, and being risk averse. Um, there's always a time and a place, I think, for, for good, steady decisions. Um, and, tried and tested stuff, you know, sometimes you do have to sort of weigh up the fact that we're going to have to take a bit of a punt here and sometimes leaders have to dip in the manual cold gut instinct as opposed to what's on the shelf and the, and the, and the instruction manual. You know, the gut instinct manual sometimes has to be sort of called on. And if you're a leader who can't not only call on that, but then doesn't have the courage to make one of those big decisions, um, or even a small decision, you're going to find yourself very, very quickly being seen as weak by your leader, by the team, by the people that you're leading, or not able to make a call or not able to make a decision. And I think the more that behavior cements itself in everyday practice, the more commonplace it becomes to the point where it ends up becoming a business that literally won't move and it becomes a team that doesn't progress. And I think the thing that's very, very important here is um, ultimately the people in your team or the people who, you know, are under your organization chart, whether it's one level, two levels, however many levels down, you know, if you're not willing to, A, as we said here, you know, be willing to change or take different courses of direction or take the odd risk, you know, and you can, you can take informed risk, you know, anyone. You know, there's a difference between, I would say, you know, it's a horse racing punter. Giving money away for, on the on an outcome that you've got no guarantee of has an element of risk to it. But you can make an informed choice. You know, if you study a, a race card and it, you look at the form, you look at the going, you look at the ground and, and so on and so forth, you can make an informed decision that might not get you the right outcome, but you can get potentially more chance of the right there outcome. There you go. Yeah. You know, so... I think, you know, the ability to understand that sometimes decision-making has an element of risk about it, um, but you've got to be able to sort of take calculated gambles sometimes on on, on business decisions, which um, I think is is particularly important. So I kind of link those two things in, really. You know, I link the, you know, the, the, the avoidance of risk and the inability to change into, into one bucket. Um, another one which I think is of real importance, again, I've seen this throughout my, my career um is the offering of false kindness um because sometimes you have to for the good of people and the good of members of your team and the good of 
the overall business or organization. Sometimes you have to confront underperformance. You have to confront standards. You have to confront behavior. And if there's one thing that even today I still find astounding is, is people in senior roles and senior positions, you just can't do that. You know, they either rely on other people to do it or they'd rather skirt around the houses instead of just coming straight out with it and being honest and just saying, listen, you know, here's 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 where we're at, you know, and, and bringing it to a head, getting people to understand that where we currently are either can't go on or needs to improve and then being part of that, you know, improvement process. I've seen so, so, so many businesses um, whether they be individuals within a chain or people would rather find. And this, listen, I, I kind of, I get the understanding of, you know, sometimes you, you've got to find the good thing to say, or you, but I'm afraid sometimes if that converts, it, there's a difference between encouragement by trying to get people confident, but there's a fine line between that and, and this false kindness piece where you are actively giving people the understanding that their performance or their skill sets or the way they are going about their role is fine when it abundantly isn't. Um, and businesses aren't doing themselves any favours at all um, by allowing that culture to, to, to sort of creep in. I mean, it's because of stuff like that that dreadful, dreadful processes like 70-20-10 performance management exist. Um where businesses just simply say, because of your inability to actually tell somebody this isn't good enough or your performance isn't up to scratch. Um, and that's part and parcel of everyday leadership. We're now going to force this quota system onto you where you don't have a choice. And that's just an immature way of handling performance management. Yeah, um, I, I, look, even in the home life, that's what leads to people turning up to Britain's Got Talent thinking they can sing and they can't sing because no one's ever picked it up, right? It's those sorts well, of things. It's, I mean, look, it, it, it works It works the other way, you know, where you know, people are never, ever given any encouragement and uh, they never get to fulfil what's that. But I think, you know, and, and again, you see it, you know, even in things like, you know, we've all done audits on sites or, you know, inspections, whatever whatever word you want to call Um you know, and there's that, you know, outcomes, the grade or the score, and you're worried about how they're going to react. And you think, oh, I can't say this to them, you know, and outcomes, the tipex, and just get it dealt with, you know, get it done. You know, once people understand, because the other thing is, is as well, with false kindness, you're undermining when you do it genuinely. Yeah, you're hiding you know? it, when it when it really yeah. comes through, right? Yeah, and I think there's a way of delivering, there's a way of delivering as you will coach morning, noon, and night. There's a way of delivering performance, constructive feedback. There's even a way of, you know, delivering even the worst type of thing, which is, you know, sometimes we've all been in positions where we've had to take people's jobs away from yeah. them for a bit discipline or, or, or whatever, and they're never, ever nice things to do. There's a way to do it properly, and there's a way to do it professionally, and there's a way to do it where the person receiving it goes, yeah, you know, um, but I think false kindness is is something that if that's allowed to run through your organisation, it's a long road back from that. I would agree with you, mate. I hundred percent agree with that. I think we're we're five in from my kind of notes. Just trying to of following where you're going. I think we've had five. Is it? I think we've had feeling sorry for oneself. We've mm. had being controlled by others. Yeah. We've had resisting change, mm. avoiding risk, 
and offering false kindness. Yeah. If I just want to pick up on a couple of bits, come back to that resisting change thing and that Fergie piece that you started to talk about. That's preempting complacency. The the work that he was trying to do to change things while no one else certainly thought anything needed changing because everything was being won, teams were performing, blah, blah, blah. Still making a change to avoid that level of complacency. That's that would be my read on that. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, hundred percent. And it's it's keeping people on the God if he God if you know, I think part of Paul Scholes um on a recent podcast I saw him do with um I think it was Robbie Fowler when when Sebastian Veron joined United, you know, he's suddenly going, even Roy Keane were going, Well, hang on, it's one of us two, isn't it? You know, and bar has to be raised type of thing. And we're, we're not talking about average squad players there. You're talking about two of probably the best midfielders in the club's history. So, yeah, I think there's an element of of, of that, um, bringing people in who can raise the bar of, even if it's an already high bar, I think, absolutely. Um, but I think it's also recognising that there was a style of football that United won, that, that got United very dominant in the 90s and that style of football wasn't getting him anywhere in in European football and he had to think about this is the thing about not resisting change and ramming 4-4-2 formations down people's throat to excess it was like we've got to change this if we want to go to another level I'm happy with what we've achieved but if we want to get bigger and better and and, you know we we can't stand still here Um, and I think what ordinary leaders do is, is they're happy with if it's working, they're happy to stay where they are. Um, great leaders recognise that, you know, there's, there's more levels in this business yet, but we are going to have to do a couple of things differently um, and have the courage to change that, which again brings the risk part into it. Yeah. So I think it's a bold decision. Um, so I think the greatest success a business has, I think that risk aversion actually becomes even, even more prevalent because people don't want to be the one who made the decision that did some of it. I've seen in periods of unparalleled sales growth in organizations. Um, you've just seen the marketing calendar almost repeat itself on a loop for several years because people don't, even though there's probably evidence that says do this or do that, or this is, this is, this is a great thing to do. People, people don't want the one that said we made the decision to do that and look where we are now. Um, yeah. Yeah. you know, so, you know, a lot of these, I think, do link into each other and there's a there's a lot of parallels between some of these behaviors and uh, where they cross paths for sure yeah um, and like you said right early, this is this is not some kind of opening up of the ark of the covenant and finding secrets this is facing into things that happen every day but just trying to be more conscious of them yeah 100 so, percent. so let's just let's let's continue then my friend um uh, it's a personal bugbear of this is is and you know i probably it's just wasting time and energy on stuff that either adds little value or just adds just doesn't matter or getting hung you know i I see people getting hung up on things that just don't matter and you think you know how much time energy you know if 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 your time and energy if that was cash you know how much how much are you willing to part of that before you go i'm wasting my money here aren't i how much are you willing to dispose of before you go? What am I doing here? You know, what a, uh, if it was cash, you wouldn't touch it with a barge pole half the time. And I think sometimes bringing energy and time like cash isn't bad practice at all. 
but for me wasting it on stuff adds absolutely no no value whatsoever and i think you know what you then end up with is a culture of inactivity low productivity low return when there's low return you end up with less opportunity to to celebrate performance and when you've got less opportunity to celebrate performance you end up with a workforce that very quickly gets disengaged um because they think what are we, what are we doing here yeah um, and this is where i think the stronger the strategy where it's absolutely focused at things that are very very important and, and something i've always tried to do i i I've always said I'm good at two things, uh, the development of the strategy and the creation of the culture where people can be at their best to delivering that. Have I come to life tactically? I've always been very comfortable letting other people decide what that looks like based on them, their teams, their locations, their situations. But I often say to people, when I look at things that they're working on, or look at the tactical actions that they've got in place, I'm going, what's that pointing at? You know, is it pointing at the overall goals and objectives? And if the answer is no, I, I'm, I'm going to say, well, why are we doing it? Why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? Why are you burning time and energy on that? Because it's just not going to give you that opportunity to have a return. And I just think, again, linking it into the risk piece or the change piece where people are very comfortable doing, you know, things that are familiar to them. I think it's very important that they understand that whilst you might be comfortable with that, you, you're letting your side down. And that's a feeling that I don't think any leader should, should, should ever entertain is, is letting, letting the side down. So, you know, I think focusing your things on the things that are adding the most value um, is the best thing you can do, not just for your customer or your clients, but it's the best thing you can do for your team as well. There's a, there's a link into this next one here, which is the, um, you know, if you've ever found yourself either saying it or hearing it, you know, a lot of, I think your listeners or subscribers will have heard, but we've always done it that way. I can't abide that because it's living in the past. And I think now more than ever, where the recent past was actually a long, long time ago because of, the, of COVID and the pandemic. Dwelling on the things that used to work and now don't is again another behavior that businesses have to just rid of themselves off. Um, because we've always done it that way. You may as well say, I have no idea why we still do this <laughs> when asked to that question. Um, if you've ever found yourself saying that as an answer to something, listen to it back and think what because what you've just said isn't what i heard you said we've always done it that way i've heard you don't know what you're doing here um now that might not be your fault um that might be a lack of strategy might be a lack of leadership but i think if you find yourself moving into a business that's been around for a while and you're new to it you might hear that quite regularly it's a destructive behavior that that has to be changed and usually the incoming person is the one that has to trigger that which is quite difficult because you're very much going to be in the minority on uh, first i've been involved in the business reasonably recently you know in the last couple of years where that was very very much the case but i think getting people to understand that uh, as i said the recent path is now a very very long way in the past because the pandemic one thing i think it did was it hit control alt and delete on the whole world and everybody came through the other side of that and suddenly thought where are we what what's going on you know i always felt the aftermath of covid professionally would be harder than almost during it i think people went into fight or flight mode they went into crisis mode 
Um, and I think people then came through the other side with this huge sigh of relief and suddenly found themselves in this really strange world where everything that used to work now doesn't, because I'm dealing with so many different situations here all in one go. Um, and I don't know what to do here, you know, and I think dwelling on something that always worked for you in the past just won't work for you now. And, you know, the sooner businesses get away from that place, the better, I think. I think the next one I probably would put back in, I'm trying to do this in some kind of sequence here, is, um, is uh, and I, I guess I've seen this quite a lot, but um, I see I see a lot of resenting of success elsewhere. And, you know, I think that resenting success in other businesses or in colleagues, um, it, using that to somehow, you know, justify your own performance or your own shortcomings is unhealthy. Um, instead of, you know, using someone else's success as a barometer to get better, um, whether it be a competitor or whether it be an individual within your own business who, you know, you're, you're potentially likely to one day compete with for a role when there's two of you and one job or whatever. It's not healthy to resent them doing well and using that to justify perhaps why you're not. And I think learning from what is it they're doing well, learning from what is it that's working for them, but also having that inward look. Don't look out at other people doing well. Look inwardly at how are we doing here? How is our plan? How is our performance? How is our behavior? How is our culture? You know, and just ask yourself all of those questions instead of getting your stomach in knots of the fact that someone's just in good form somewhere else or someone's just had a few more breaks that you didn't. I just like that, that perhaps they're really good at what they do and aspire to match them and be like them, you know, and learn from that, you know, as opposed to just sitting there bitching and getting wound up by, by that fact. I think it's such an unhealthy business culture that, and it's a shame because it's rife. And I think, you know, it's as uncomfortable resenting other people. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable when you know people resent yours. Um, you know, because deep down they'd like to convince themselves that you have in some way achieved this by something other than you just being not right at what you do. And it's just a culture that just needs binning, you know, binning fast within an organization. So again, whenever I've led teams and we've been on the wrong end of someone else outgunning us, whether it be a competitor or another another region or another market, I've always stamped on any reference to something that's disrespectful to how that's been done or, or how that's been achieved so yeah that was um but again linking that into that the, the the next one i've always really championed is is avoiding throwing the towel in early um on a plan or a strategy or or an objective um i've always held the belief that because something isn't working it doesn't mean that doesn't work um and some things just need a bit of time to be implemented, to be embedded into an organization and, and to then be accelerated. I use those three phases all the time when we put a new plan or a new strategy together. You're going through three phases here. You've got to implement it. You've then got to embed it. And then once that's done, you're in a position to accelerate that as a tactic in whatever field it is that you're doing that in. I, I often see that that second stage is almost bypassed completely. Mm -hmm. It's launch and then get your foot down with it because it's cost us money. This. 
sometimes that's not great practice. Um, and you have to allow for a period of just something settling it down. Once you make that recognition that this is this is business as usual process, then you're in a position to put your foot down. But I think too many times I've seen some great plans and some great strategies abandoned too early in the process. And it wasn't because it was the wrong plan or the wrong strategy or the wrong thing to do. People just didn't go through that process of getting it out into the system properly and just letting it organically get settled in as business as usual. You know, if you find yourself as a leader making short-term decision after short-term decision to effectively influence or correct something that's not working for you, um, if you're constantly doing that, you've got a destructive behavior there. Too many great, well-thought-out plans um, and really strong ideas sometimes they end up in the bin before they've had a chance to become what they've been what they've been built and prepared for. So, so I always try and encourage people to avoid the giving up early on something. I think another um, another thing is um, the blame game. Um, I think that leaders have got to make sure that the culture of blame just doesn't exist in in their team. Or there's nothing wrong with getting to the root cause of what's gone on here. Um, but unfortunately, one of the responsibilities of being a leader is um, is sticking yourself forward when accountability um, and taking responsibility is being uh, of the of the day of the order. Um, I've seen a lot of cowardly leaders in my time do the opposite of that. Uh, they know who they are, um, as do I. You know, and I've always said their secrets safe with me, but my opinion of them won't be. Um, <laughs> There, um, but again, I've seen new, you know, countless others, real proper, proper leaders of people be the one who stand up there and say, yeah, this is on, this is on me. I'm the leader of this team. It's on me. And I think, you know, it's an important, um, leadership quality, but it's an important leadership team culture, uh, that you have to showcase to other people. And I, and I think it's an easy thing to do because. You do it without knowing it sometimes. And this is the disruptive part of it is you don't know you're doing it. And this is bringing it back to that easy, easy thing to adopt. There was a common question that was often asked in, in some of the retail environments of work was, okay, who was it? You know, not what, who. Mm. It was almost this, I need to find an individual here that I can at least start to pin the early days yeah. stuff on here. And I think if you find yourself saying, who was it or whose shift was it or who was in charge at the time? Stop yourself and just ask yourself what went on, you know? And if there is a need to make an individual, you know, take their share of, of, of the responsibility, absolutely. But I think if it's your default position, not to find out what's gone on here, but who, um, that's an unhealthy, destructive element within an organisation or within your team that, that needs to be consigned to the bin. Um, so blame culture is another one that, uh, you know, I would absolutely, and, and again, people don't understand sometimes how they're doing it. I think sometimes it's being done subconsciously, as I've just said there, by asking it, not what, but who, um, people think blame is saying, you know, well, it's your fault, Andy. Well, that is blame, but there's a much softer, much more subconscious way of, of looking to blame someone else as, as I've just described there. And, you know, I found that to be prevalent 
in many, many places I've worked. And I think it's still relevant now um, in a lot of places, particularly high KPI, high KPI environments where, you know, you know, the number sometimes is more important to the process or the number is more important than the actions that have gone into that. Because uh, it, it's interesting when something's not right, who is at fault here um, tends to be someone else in, in many people's eyes. When everything's great, the who tends to stay with the person who wants to be seen as you know responsible for that. I think you, there's nothing wrong with taking your share of, uh, of the glory when things work out well. But as a boss, you've ever blamed somebody or something else. I think it's uh, some looking in the mirror time would do you no harm. I think I, I agree with you. I think that's the sort of stuff that definitely breeds toxicity when it comes to the the culture stuff. It's what absolutely mm. starts to give tacit approval for all of the back channeling and everything else that goes on and you're just you're fostering mm. a, a horrible environment at this point we're going to take a break and end part one there in part two which is ready for downloading now Steve will finish taking us through the remaining destructive behaviours and we'll pull the whole piece together but for now thanks for listening so that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment, and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>